Hi everyone, I'm Jason Scorse and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing well. Boy, what a difference two weeks makes. Um, I typically do these podcasts every two weeks on Tuesdays. And uh, the last one was the, you know, the day of the Georgia runoff. It was the day before the certification of the Electoral College votes. And here we are two weeks later and stunning, stunning victories for the Democrats in both of those Georgia runoffs. And I'm going to talk a lot about that later on. But then, of course, the, the even bigger news, the right-wing terrorists' insurrection in the Capitol, which left, as of latest count, five dead, including a police officer who was beaten to death by the protesters with a, a fire extinguisher, a protester shot a QAnon lunatic who was actually an Air Force veteran, shot point blank in the neck. Uh, multiple other people died. We don't exactly know how. Other cops were beaten with American flags. So just insanity. Uh, and then we had the impeachment of President Trump, you know, a few, you know, a week later. Uh, and then, of course, throughout these two weeks, we've had huge amounts of just right-wing denial and insanity. So, boy, there's a lot to talk about today. Um, but I want to try to, as usual, add something new to the mix here and not just rehash the news. You all can read about all the details, the sordid details of uh, the madness that has ensued the last couple of weeks. But I'm going to try to give a, a perspective that might add a little value to to the news of the of, of the moment. So the first thing I just want to kind of take a step back here. I started this podcast at the beginning of the Trump administration. So it's been almost four years to the day that I started this podcast. And I started it with the name Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse because I knew the right-wing insanity had really gone to a whole new level when this con man, sociopath, racist who had no intention of being president. Remember this. Him and his people thought he had no chance. This was just a marketing gig to kind of beef up his brand and make some money, right? So when he actually won and beat Hillary Clinton, who was the most qualified probably presidential candidate in at least modern American history, I knew the right-wing madness that had been going on for decades, right? This wasn't new, but it had gone to a new level and we really were in cult territory. Right. So when I started this, you know, I I was one of the few people calling it a cult. I was, you know, pretty early on and I don't want to take credit for this, but it is kind of wild how now four years later and it's it's been more recent than this, even in the last couple of years. But I was one of the first, to my knowledge, that was really calling the Trump phenomenon and the right wing a cult. And now it's in mainstream. I mean, people really get it that this is a cult. So that's good. We've made some progress, but there's still a lot of confusion, right? Still a lot of confusion. 
and I want to kind of take on some of this, uh, you know, bit by bit here. So the first thing is there's a lot of people, including Joe Biden, the president-elect, who have been kind of saying this is not who we are, right? When anytime we have a horrible kind of incident in America, we this isn't who we are. This is not, you know, this is not what, this is un-American. The problem with that is that that's just false. In fact, this is exactly who we are. White, white supremacy is in America's DNA. It is the core of America's DNA. Now, again, it doesn't have to be that way forever. But as of now, on, in January of 2021, white supremacy is the core of America's DNA. And what we saw in the Capitol was no different than what we saw, you know, in the 50s and 60s when, you know, white people throughout the country, predominantly in the South, were you know, um, protesting black people being integrated into colleges and schools and, you know, hosing and, 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 and sicking dogs on black people who just wanted to exercise their right to vote. So, you know, we can just go back and back, obviously, civil war and slavery and genocide and Japanese internment and, you know, um, the Tuskegee experiment and testing syphilis on, you know, infecting black people with syphilis and, and, you know, letting them go untreated to see, you know, as a medical experiment, which is just straight out of, you know, kind of Nazi Germany. This is who we are. Now, it is not only who we are, but it absolutely is who we are, right? The reality is, is there is a, a dark, dark side of America that is truly insane, racist, and evil. And I understand why Joe Biden you know, wants to kind of say this isn't who we are and claim these kind of better angels rhetoric. I get it. He's the unifier. He's about to come in in a very deep time. So I'm not holding him to, you know, account for that. I think he gets it. But the commentators, the pundits, you know, it's just stop. Just stop. Like the denial is the problem. Denying who we are and just trying to just lie our way out of everything and sweep everything under the rug is how we're in this fucking mess in the first place. So this is exactly who we are. America is a racist, white supremacist society. We've always had snake oil salesmen and con men and televangelists and fraudsters, and now one is in the White House for the last couple of days, right? As I have men mentioned, I've made this statement multiple times on the podcast, but it's it's worth re-emphasizing. White supremacy built America, and white supremacy is in the process of destroying America. Because the core white Christian nationalist ethic that says a multicultural, secular, non-Christian America is one they do not want to countenance. They would rather burn this country to the ground then let it not be a white Christian patriarchy, right? That is destroying America. That's the root of the insurrection. There were tons of people there with crosses talking about how Jesus put, you know, Trump in, um, you know, in, in the in power so that they could, you know, uh, you know, ram through this new level of white nationalism and Christian nationalism. I mean, it is all wrapped up together. And again, if we cannot get over our white supremacy, confront it head on, and defeat it, America will be destroyed. I just want to say that unequivocally, right? That is the core, is getting over white supremacy. Now, another thing I want to say here is 
Another just horrible metaphor is this metaphor of the fever breaking, right? Metaphor. Now, I've taken Obama to task for this. In 2012, Obama said if he was to beat Mitt Romney, who, again, he was saying some pretty outlandish stuff back then about the takers and about 12 million illegal aliens self-deporting. You know, again, it, it pales in comparison to the madness of QAnon and this rabid right-wing cult that we have in 2020 and 2021. But it was still pretty bad. And he said, look, if we just defeat them soundly, you know, the fever will break. That was in 2012, right? So how'd that work out, Obama? How'd that fever break, right? Didn't work. And of course, the tool of all tools in American kind of mushy, centrist, horrible analytics commentator is David Brooks at the New York Times. I mean, he is literally just, I think, like the textbook for just a horrible, lazy, pseudo-intellectual. And of course, right after this episode of the insurrection, he had an op-ed talking about how the fever will now break. Let me just try to say this as unequivocally as I can. That is fucking nonsense. The fever is not going to break on its own. A couple, you know, a defeat of Mitt Romney is not going to break the fever. The insurrection is not going to break the fever. What's going to break the fever is the, the, the mainstream institutions of society, the media, the tech companies, the corporations, the Democrats, white America confronting white supremacy, systemic racism, and taking it on and defeating it. And making it that in polite company, you cannot be QAnon. We need to cut these people off. Now, of course, there's a lot of people. So when I say cut them off from polite society, I don't mean, you know, they all have to be fired and, you know, and, they're, they, and they become even more enraged and more, um, you know, desperate. But they have to be shut down in terms of intellectually. They should be, cannot be given any space right? They cannot. And unfortunately, we've just been kind of humoring them, right? It was like, you know, it was when it was the birther movement. It was like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of, you know, these crazy people. But no, we have to, on a, what, what should have been the response to birtherism? This is insane. It is pure racism. Anyone who peddles in this conspiracy nonsense has no business in American society and has no business um, being taken seriously because it is pure racism and conspiracy and insanity. QAnon, same thing. It should be shut down. It should be like, we do not want anybody who believes QAnon in our party. We do not want you um, as in part of our intellectual um, discussion. You are a, a crazy nut job conspiracy thing. You need mental um, health, you know, checkup. You need a, a therapist. You don't need to be in our in our party, right? So this is the challenge here, right, is that it has to be confronted. And America, as we know, is not good at confronting its demons. We just sweep them under the rug year after year after year, and they don't go away. The fever will not break. It does not work like that, right? Fascism goes in one direction until it's defeated. It does not just kind of go away on its own, right? Now, as long as white people can get away with murder, and I mean that literally and figuratively, as long as white people can just get away with all this absolute insane behavior and really feel very minimal repercussions, they're going to do it, 
right? They're at the trajectory they are on, and they're going to do it. Maybe it's part of human nature, right? But in America, white privilege, white kind of uh, immunity. I mean, just think about the insurrection. These people are literally, you know, committing felonies and taping themselves for social media. This is not a group of people that thought they were doing anything wrong, right? They had become so entitled, so enamored of their own rage and resentment that they thought they could ransack the capital of the United States with impunity. I mean, just think about that. It was like a carnival act to them. Like, and, they were, and there were some of them who were talking about executing the vice president, who is like one of Trump's most stalwart allies, right? So the last point I want to make here before, you know, um, the break here is that we just have to stop coddling and infantilizing and ultimately appeasing this right-wing lunacy. I mean, I still cannot tell you how much nonsense I read about, oh, you know, we just got to give them a break and understand them. No, no, we don't. We can't coddle right-wing insanity. It doesn't fucking work like that, right? We need to shut this shit down hard, right? It is an insult to these people to say that, you know, oh, well, you know, they got something on Facebook and, you know, maybe they don't really believe it, but they feel really strongly. You know, what are these people in fucking kindergarten, right? We need to be able to tell people if I was believing some nonsense, right? If I was going down some rabbit hole, I would hope a friend of mine would pull me aside and say, hey, Jay, what the fuck are you doing? Right? Like, that's a real friend. You know, if my friend's just like, hey, you know, Jay's going down this rabbit hole, but, you know, he'll, you know, he's just, he's, he's in a bad space and he'll figure it out. And you know, he just needs to kind of deal with his dark feelings. I mean, that's not a friend. That's someone, that's an enabler. And we've just enabled this right wing lunacy for so long. Um, and, you know, we just we just can't go on like this. Again, I'm just going to say this unequivocally. If we do not confront right-wing lunacy and white supremacy, this is just the beginning. No fever breaking, and this is exactly who we are. All right, so after the break, I'm going to come back with a little bit more on the positive because there is some strange silver linings here as Biden is getting ready to take the, the helm. Okay, so let's talk about this new chapter. The first thing I want to emphasize stronger than ever is that we must, absolutely must have accountability, right? The impeachment was a great start. There were some people worried about it. Nancy Pelosi did it quick, and it was exactly what needed to be done, right? This is a 
you know, the president has blood on his hands, right? He incited a riot. It's treason. If we lived in the same country, he would be tried for treason, convicted, and executed. I would absolutely 100% support the death penalty in this case. And in any sane country, Donald Trump would be put to death in relatively short order because the evidence is so overwhelming. But he never accepted the election results um, and he was just stoking this grievance. And what's even worse is supposedly he was watching this unfold and refused to call in the National Guard. I mean, think about that. The President of the United States was watching the Capitol be ransacked and did nothing for hours, was reveling in the chaos. That's treason. As clear, that's like two plus two equals four level treason. So again, Donald Trump deserves the death penalty, um, but hopefully he will be convicted in the Senate. Now, that will require 17 votes from Republicans. That's very unlikely to happen. But just again, let's just take a step back and say over um, 90% of Republicans voted against impeachment. So over 90% of Republicans said the the president inciting a violent insurrection is not a high crime in misdemeanor. That's what they said through their actions. Now, 10, the story was 10 Republican congressmen and women did vote. Great, you know, kudos to them. But that's 10 out of almost 200, right? That's a pittance. And now we need, you know, basically a third of the Republican caucus to in the Senate to convict. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's highly unlikely. And so, again, the Republicans are showing that not only are they cowards and traitors, they're also terrorists, Right. So this is where we're at in America 2021. But if Trump and his enablers get away with their crimes, this is going to tell me that America is definitely going to get worse. Because if you can literally incite violent insurrection and get away with it and your party basically covers for you, I mean, then the, the, the whole system, the whole rule of law is a joke. Right. So they have to be held to account. And so we'll see. I think Trump's fate is going to be pretty bad. Unfortunately, I don't think he's going to you know, get convicted in the Senate. I think there are a lot of crimes he is going to be indicted for. Financial crimes, I think even federal crimes. And um, I think he's going to be in a pretty tough position. But we'll, you know, we'll come back to that at some point. Although I really do look forward to just not talking about that fucking you know, insane sociopath who's done so much damage. It's going to just be nice take a break from talking about that fucking moron. So now um, let's talk about something a little bit more positive here, which actually happened before the insurrection, which is the Georgia runoffs, right? The fact that the Democrats won both of those and now control the Senate is just freaking huge. It is so huge that just think about this. A few thousand people in Georgia in some sense, change the course of American history and protect global history. And why do I say that? Even though the Democrats have the slimmest, and I mean slimmest, a 51 to 50 majority in the Senate now, um, their power now to set the agenda, to have all the investigative powers, and also through the budget reconciliation process to pass a large stimulus bill and climate change bill, This means that we could probably get multiple trillions of dollars of spending on progressive uh, priorities versus close to probably nothing if Mitch McConnell had been left in charge. So this is just huge. We also get 
some movement on the judiciary because Mitch McConnell wasn't going to let many judges through. And now we can get, you know, even though, you know, we don't control the Supreme Court, we can at least uh, get, you know, some of these um, mid-level judges in and get some competent people into the judiciary over the next few years. Maybe, just maybe, a few non-insane Republicans will actually join and we can do something on immigration too. And maybe we can do something on criminal justice reform, right? There are a few non-treasonous Republicans, very few, or some of them that are treasonous, but just say, hey, you know what? I still want to work on something with the Democrats who, and you know what? That would be beautiful, right? But we have a lot of damage to undo here, right? The one thing I want to say, though, here is just to think about this. Let's, I'm not a big fan of uh, counterfactuals, but imagine if Hillary Clinton had won, you know, back in 2016. We can say probably with close to certainty that Mitch McConnell would not have let her see any Supreme Court justices. He would have just held those seats vacant. You know, again, she would not have had the Senate. She would have been completely blocked. There's no question that 2018, the Republicans would have come back and stormed the gates because they would have been so angry. And uh, she would have been pretty battered. And I think even though she would have done a much better job with the pandemic than Trump, she could have easily lost and we could be in a horrible situation. Now, I want to be clear here that, you know, the hundreds of thousands that have died because of, of the pandemic, the, the incompetent response, that alone is enough to wish that Hillary um, had been president. And of course, the kids in cages and the, the environmental destruction. So under no circumstances, if I could go back in time, would I not want Hillary Clinton to have been president? But I do think the irony is here is that after four years of Trump, the, Repub the Democrats coming in with the power that they have is likely that we're going to have a lot more movement on climate change, on criminal justice, on uh, perhaps immigration, things that we probably would not have done if Hillary had won. So it's just a weird twist of history, right? That Trump has done so much damage and he has been so evil that Democrats, in a lot of ways, you can kind of get a sense that they just don't have any more fucks to give, right? That they have just watched this country be eviscerated. And so now with the power they have, I have a pretty good feeling that they're going to max it out, right? They're going to really use the power they have in ways that I don't think we've seen Democrats use before. Just a few facts on this that are pointing in the right direction. The House um, has this stupid pay-go rule where if they do big spending bills, they have to cut spending somewhere else so that they're budget neutral. The Republicans never do this. They just put trillions of dollars on the credit card. But the Democrats, trying to be fiscally responsible, have had this pay-go rule in effect. They just eliminated it for climate change, infrastructure, and COVID relief. So all the big-ticket items, the House has already said, we don't need these to be budget neutral. That's a good sign. The $1.9 trillion stimulus package that Biden just unveiled has huge huge Democratic priorities in there. It has stuff for child poverty. It has stuff for um, the earned income tax credit. It has relief to state and local governments. So it has hundreds of billions of really, really good stuff. And not only that, he said that's just the start. He's going to come with another one or two trillion dollar infrastructure plan with climate change built in in February. So I think that just makes my day. 
I mean, this is the type of bold leadership that we had kind of wished from Obama, but we're maybe going to get under Biden. And again, there's a lot of details to be worked out here, but I'm really getting the feeling that after the, you know, you had Democrats literally cowering for their lives in the halls of Congress, that they're like, fuck this, you know, they are just like, fuck this, we're going for it. I mean, just to show you what they're dealing with, right? Nancy Pelosi instituted a law in the House now that to put metal detectors, right? Because they don't want people coming in and assassinating congressmen and women. Less than a week after the insurrection, you have Republican congressmen and women not only complaining about the metal detectors, but actually circumventing it, walking around it, yelling at the Capitol Police, saying, I'm not going to let you look in my bag. I'm out of here. I'm going into the halls of Congress, right? So just like when you see this so viscerally, see these people who literally just don't care, have no principles, I think it took a lot longer than it should have. I think the Bush years should have been enough for the Democrats to know this, but at least better late than never. And I think watching a Democratic Party with no more fucks to give and that's ready to use its power could be a really beautiful thing. And these next couple years, we could see some really big movement on on the things progressives care about. So after the break, I'll come back with the, the antidote. I strive, strive, strive to get everything done. I've played by all the rules, but I very rarely won. I've smiled, I've charmed, I've wooed and laughed, alas, to no avail. I've run round like a moron to unequivocally fail. I've no more fucks to give, my fuck fuse has just blown. I've been hunting for my fucks all day, but they've upped and fucked off home. I've no more fucks to give, my fuck rations are depleted. Okay, so... The antidote for today, we have some real deep work ahead of us, right? America's fundamental nature, its fundamental core institutions, its core DNA is evil and racist. I'm not a politician, so I can say it because it's the truth. But this nature, this core DNA, as hard as it is to change, it is not fixed, right? DNA can change over time. It's called evolution. So we need to evolve as a country and purge ourselves of this evil part of our DNA, the white supremacy, the racism, the conspiracy, the lies. It's going to be a long process, but it requires a lot of hard work, truth, and accountability. Things that to date, white Americans by and large have refused to do. Right, white America is just in this incredible state of denial. There's a an article I'll put it in the show notes by Ibram Kendi in the Atlantic called "Denial is the Heartbeat of America," and it, it really speaks to this. Now, I'm not sure we're up to this task. Right, we have failed time and again to grapple with our demons and with the evil that is in our midst. Right, taking a hard look in the mirror is just too much for many people. To, you know, people want to just live in, in denial. Now, some people say ignorance is bliss, but I'm going to say straight out, that's bullshit, right? Reality always intrudes. It's a nice mantra, you know, ignorance is bliss. If I don't know all the bad stuff, I can just kind of go along, merry, 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 happy, happy. But again, reality always intrudes, 
right? The lies most white Americans cling to are literally killing them, right? Many of these white Americans believing this, these lies are just voting against their economic interests. The rage and resentment that they feel is, is ostracizing them from mainstream society. It's harming their physical and mental health, right? So the antidote is to not run anymore, right? Is to face your traumas, your regrets, and your imperfections, to face them. Now, this is hard to do. I do not want to make light of that. I do not know the traumas and regrets and imperfections that all of you have, have dealt with in your life, and I'm sure some are a lot you know, more intense than mine. But I will just say, ignoring them is only going to make them fester and get worse, and maybe at one point they will overwhelm you. Right? So the key is to address these deep, dark parts of ourselves as individuals and as a collective. Right? And we, can, we don't need to do this alone. Right? We can get help, whether it's through therapy, whether it's through reading books, whether it's through talking with family and friends, whether it's through meditation. Right? This is not a journey we have to take all by ourselves, but it's a journey we must do. We must confront the darkness and the, the sinister elements of our own individual beings and those that have manifested at the collective level. That is the only way we are going to get America on track. And if there ever was a time to do it, I would say it's after an insurrection uh, in the Capitol that was the first time it had happened in over two centuries, right? If there's not, you know, this is the time, if ever, to really do it. And that's going to be a big theme of this podcast going forward. But that being said, I'm really looking forward to talking about good, constructive things that the Biden administration is doing and ways for you all to get involved in that. So with that, everybody, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, please share it with family, friends, and and colleagues. You can uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. The uh, playlist is also on Spotify, the DZA Podcast Playlist. And please rate and review the podcast as well. So with that, everybody, I hope you have a great rest of the week. Take care.